Well, hey, so good to be back together again. If you have your Bible, grab it. And for the last time, uh, I'll say this for, for quite a while. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 uh, as we uh, journey together in our last message in this series. And uh, before we jump into anything that has anything to do with the passage we are going to look at, I just want to uh, talk to you about two really exciting things that we have going on as a church. The first one is camp. Uh, tomorrow, 75 uh, middle school and high school students will be gathered uh, at the Duke Family Farm for an awesome couple days of camp. And listen, I just want to—I want us to know that as a church. I want us to be praying for that over the next few days. Uh, when you get up tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, will you just spend some time in prayer for that camp? Pray for those who will gather there who aren't believers that this would be the week they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Pray that this week would be a huge catalyst. Uh, the theme is movement, that this week would be a huge catalyst of movement in the life of our middle school and high school students, a movement towards Jesus in a greater way. And so we're so excited for this. We're excited to tell you uh, what all that God does on the other side of it. And then the second thing I just want to mention from the top is uh, this is the last week we are doing uh, kind of the pre-recorded worship service. We'll be back together in the school next week. And I just really, really quickly want to give you four reasons why you need to regather and be there in person with us next week. For those of you who uh, aren't in the at-risk category and who this is wise for you to regather, I just want to give you four quick reasons like get there, be there. The first one is this. Um, we are able to minister to each other in a greater way when we gather. I think one of the things I have missed the most, and you no doubt have felt this, is just uh, the fellowship that happens naturally when we all come together in one place. The ministry that happens as we hear other people singing praise to the Lord around us. And so don't miss the chance next week to minister to one another by regathering. The second thing is uh, this. We have an opportunity in this next season to worship corporately with our kids. Now, certainly you've been worshiping in your home home with your kids, but for those of us who normally um, have our kids go up to Harvest Kids Ministry on Sunday, they will be with us in the service, and we have a great opportunity to sing together, to process the teaching of the Word together, and so don't shy away from regathering because the kids will be in the service. This is an awesome opportunity to leverage. The third reason is uh, we begin a series next week called What Matters? What Matters? Um, we are going to spend four weeks in the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you're like, whoa, like I've read Ecclesiastes and it feels so depressing. No, this isn't going to be depressing at all. We're coming out of a season where I know for me and probably for you, there's just been some things that I'm like, man, I really thought that mattered a lot in life. And I'm realizing coming out of the season that doesn't matter. And I'm getting my priorities kind of refocused on ultimately what matters. When everything is stripped away from us in our life, what really matters? And so for four weeks through the month of July, we're going to be journeying through parts of Ecclesiastes, studying together as believers what matters, period. And then the last reason I would say uh, get there in person is uh, next week is the official first Sunday that we are Redeemer Bible Church. And we are so thrilled about that. Um, and we want um, everyone who can be there in the church family to be there to celebrate the inaugural Sunday as Redeemer Bible Church. And so you don't want to miss it. And so I just want to encourage you to regather for those who are able. But let's finish our journey through the book of 1 Peter here this morning. This is the last sermon. Um, this book, I hope, 
has helped us live here like we're just passing through here. We've said that almost every single week of the series. This is a book to equip Christians to live here as if we are just passing through here. We're sojourners, travelers. This isn't our final home. I hope you are a little less attached to this world and a little more looking forward to the life that is to come. And and, and in that being true, when we as believers become less attached to this world, more fixed on the life that is to come when we are in the presence of Jesus, what we actually find is this makes us a more productive citizen of the kingdom of heaven in the here and now. And so I hope this book has equipped us to that end. But as we come to the last chapter, there's really uh, three areas I want us to focus our attention on in 1 Peter chapter 5. The first area we want to focus in is on spiritual leadership, elders. What are elders? What's the purpose of elders in the church? How do we uh, interact with the elders of the church? The second area we're going to focus on from this last chapter is humility. Now, I know, like, right, none of us need some teaching on humility. Fortunately for you all, um, I'm the most humble person I know, and so I'm an expert on humility who gets to teach you, right? And uh, no, obviously all of us know uh, we all need some teaching on humility. The truth is I'm the most prideful person I know. Um, uh, I know God loves me, but man, I find myself really loving myself a lot and making much of myself, and Peter gives us some great teaching on humility. And then the third area we're going to look at today is watchfulness. What in the world is watchfulness? Uh, It's living as believers, knowing that the enemy is on the prowl, seeking to devour. How do we live watchful lives? And so these three areas, right, could they be more applicable to us? And uh, as we close out this series, we're going to deep dive in on each of these three. And so if you would, grab your Bible. Let's jump into the first area we're going to look at today, spiritual leadership or elders. Uh, Read with me uh, verse 1, starting in 1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, here's what he's going to exhort the elders. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Uh, I, I want to uh, just kind of focus on these first couple of verses here. And, and how I want to talk about spiritual leadership or elders in the church is really around these four questions. Uh, the first question has to do this. What are elders? What are elders? Now, I think this is an important question because um, so often I think, we look at a church and, and we can view it just like any other organization. You might see this nonprofit ministry over here organization. They have a board of directors and this company has a board or a board of directors. And it's easy to just kind of look at the church and go, oh yeah, kind of an elder board is just a board of directors. Like any organization has to have a board, but no, it's more than that. The elders of the church are those called by God and entrusted by God to be the shepherds of the flock, to, to, to um, provide oversight, to oversee, to lead the church. 
Now, this leadership of the church as shepherds, it has to come under the authority of the chief shepherd, that is Jesus Christ. And so um, elders are to live in submission to the chief shepherd, and in submission to the chief shepherd are to shepherd the flock of God, as it says here, that is among them. They're to provide the oversight. They're to lead. And now Peter spends a lot of time talking about how are these elders to lead. And we're going to get more to that in a couple of questions down the road. But I, I want us to understand that um, when you hear in church, well, an elder board, this is much more than just a board like any other organization might have a board. No, these are entrusted by God to be the spiritual leaders of the flock of God that is among them under the submission of the chief shepherd that is Christ. And so this leads kind of to the next question in this category. How are we to follow elders? If they are uh, given by God um, to shepherd the flock, how is the flock to follow the elders? I want to look at what it says here in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We will get more to those in a minute. But how are we to follow the leadership of the elders? We're to follow in humility. Uh, we're to pray for. It, it tells us here, um, uh, be subject to. We are to follow the leadership of the elders that God provides in a church. And so we follow the leadership of the elders in a church in humility, praying for God, keep them, uh, keep them under your mighty hand, keep them under the leadership of you, the chief shepherd. We're to follow in the, the, the hopefully godly leadership that the elders are providing. A third question I want to raise under this topic is this, how are the elders to lead or oversee the church. Uh, Peter spends a lot of time here. This is uh, weighty, weighty in a good way. If you're an elder, uh, that you feel the weight of this when he talks about shepherd the flock of God, exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not, not for shameful gain. This isn't about what you can gain from being an elder. This isn't about your personal gain, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This is a servant-style leadership, right? It's all Jesus taught about leadership, a servant-style leadership, being an example to the flock, not domineering or lording over the flock. And then it says, and when the chief shepherd comes, that's when you'll receive the reward for eldering. But the just as the people, the flock, are to follow in humility the leadership of the elders, the elders are to lead in humility, prayerfully, lovingly, uh, sacrificially serving, uh, setting an example, not lording or dom domineering. Uh, and uh, very practically then, in light of these, like what are elders and how are we to follow the leadership of the elders within a congregation and how are elders to lead uh, very practically for our congregation, just the fourth question I would raise under this, this uh, topic is this, who are our elders? Who are those God has entrusted to oversee our local expression of the church? And so I just wanted you to know in case you're newer or in case you like, 
wow, I've never seen that person. Who are our elders? And so let me just kind of list for you our elders and pastors so all of you will know them. Andrew Chop, J.C. Anderson, Mark Wiley, uh, D.J. Blatherwick, Corey Freeman, Brian Holt, and uh, myself. These are the pastors and elders of our church, those God has called and entrusted this this overseeing, this shepherding of the flock. And it's important that you know who the elders and pastors are, especially as we come to a passage like this. And so um, Peter, he's exhorting here to the elders, hey, shepherd the flock of God that is among you and shepherd them like this. And then he's telling those within the congregation and be joyfully, willingly subject to the elders. And he then says, you know, with humility, all of you, like live in humility toward one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And he picks up this topic, kind of moving us into the second part of the message. He picks up this topic of humility in a greater way in verse six. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Uh, and so let's talk about humility. Uh, the command here, humble yourselves. Now, if you're like me, you read that and you're like, okay, I, I know I'm to be humble. I know I'm to pursue humility, but what does it look like for me to humble myself under the mighty hand of God? Uh, a couple things on that very practically. I think we humble ourselves when uh, three things I just want to listen to that. Uh, you serve with your actions. Uh, serving, sacrificial service to the glory of God and to the good of my brothers and sisters has a joyfully and wonderfully humbling effect on us. God calls us to sacrificial service. We humble ourselves when we serve with our actions. The second thing I would say, we humble ourselves when we exalt God with our words. We exalt God with our words. How easy is it for us to exalt ourselves with our words? How easy is it to fish for compliments, to throw backdoor statements and hoping to get some praise out of it, to, 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 to put some things on social media that might really make more make much of us more than it makes much of God. We uh, humble ourselves when we're exalting God with our words, not ourselves with our words. And then really, really interesting. Verse 7 connects in here on this whole idea of humbling ourselves. The third thing I would say about humbling ourselves is this. Uh, you give your problems to God with your prayers. And so you serve with your actions, you exalt God with your words, and you give your problems to God with your prayers. It's really interesting here. Uh, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That is in the context of humbling ourselves. It is prideful for me to carry my anxieties. And it is humble when I cast those anxieties on him and say, God, yep, I can't do it. I can't fix that. Uh, that is just eating me up in stress and worry and anxiety. I will cast it. I will give it to you. That's actually a mark of humility. How freeing is that? 
to go, like, God says cast it, I'm casting it. And it's actually a mark of humility to cast those anxieties on him. And so we're to get low and under his hand, and we're to stay under his hand. Humble yourselves, get low under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. It's not our job to exalt us. Uh, It doesn't say uh, get to the side of his hand. It doesn't say to stand on top of his hand. It says humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Uh, This is such an important word for us. Not just for us and our culture. Every culture and every day, humanity has struggled with exalting themselves, right? But in our day, uh, the world in which we live teaches and trains us to exalt ourselves. Um, As as one pastor that I like to follow always says, the world today shouts at us to do big and famous things as fast as we possibly can. And so everything is about how can I do something big? How can I do something famous? And how can I do it fast? And if we really often get at the, the root of the motive of that, it really is just it's kind of can be self-promotion, self-exaltation. And so like, man, let's get low. And let's find the joy of getting low. Like, literally, let's just kind of nestle in under his firm and gentle hand and stay low, knowing it's his job to exalt. And one day, for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he will fully and finally exalt us, glorified with him in his presence. That will be the greatest form of exalting. But until that day, let's just stay under his hand and get low in humility. And so here's a good check for us. Here's a good check for me. How do I know if I'm getting out from under his mighty hand? How do I know if I'm trying to stay on top of his mighty hand? Um, uh, kind of going back to what I listed earlier. You, we know that we're getting out from under, from humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God when you won't take the place of a servant. When you feel like there are, there are things that are, that are just beneath you that you've moved past or you've moved beyond doing certain actions of servanthood. I'll never forget uh, freshman year of football in college. Uh, It's early on in the season, maybe camp, somewhere early on in the season. And when you uh, got to camp as a freshman, one of the first things I wanted to do is is know who A.D. Pinnenberg was. A.D. Pinnenberg. A.D. Pinnenberg was our all-American middle linebacker. And so you're like, oh, there's, there's A.D. Pinnenberg. And you're kind of in awe of the all-American, kind of the all-American guy on the team. I'll never forget early on in the season, um, after a practice, right? Like all the freshmen, you're just cleaning all the gear off the field and picking up kind of the freshman job. I'll never forget A.D., looking over and seeing A.D. Pinnenberg, seeing, you know, upperclassman, all-American guy, like helping us clear the field. That sight will never be lost on me. He was an upperclassman, big man on campus, all-American player, and he's like, clearing the gear off the field isn't beneath me. I can still serve in that way. Uh, a check in our heart is when we've, given, we've, we've gone to the place where we won't take the place of the servant. Another check in our heart is uh, you're just talking about yourself. <laughs> this is convicting for me. I find myself even unconsciously 
turning conversations back towards me. And it's like, uh, I hate this about myself and I'm convicted by it. But what does it look like to catch ourselves, to try to, to, with our words, exalt the Lord, get the focus on the Lord, get the focus on serving others and not always steering the conversation back to me. And then uh, kind of the third check on are we humbling ourselves under our mighty hand is this. Uh, you're trying to carry and solve all your problems yourself. You're not casting your anxieties on him. When you believe you have to hold it, you have to keep it, you have to solve it, you have to fix it, you got to do it. You're not going to cast that on the Lord like it's just pride. It is just pride. It's pride not to cast your cares on God because he commands us to right here. And I was thinking about this this week and this is kind of corny and dumb, but like I, I literally am like, Lord, but I don't know how to do that. Practically, I really don't know how to cast my anxieties on you. So like I read this and so like literally I think what I'm going to do and you can hold me to this. You can ask me. I, I literally thought about like I, I think I might go buy, buy a slingshot. Seriously. And when I'm carrying anxiety in my life, when I'm stressed out about things, when I'm worried about things, I'm going to write the thing on a little rock. I'm going to put it into that slingshot and I'm just going to launch it out the back of my yard. It's like this physical expression of like, Lord, I'm casting this thing on you. So go buy a slingshot or go do something that helps you actually live this out. And I'm just going to be slinging stones out of the backyard over and over and over again as a kind of physical reminder, cast that care on him. Uh, this section on humility, it, it totally whooped my rear end. <laughs> I see the pride and I long for a greater pursuit of humility. God, teach us how to humble ourselves under your mighty hand. Uh, this third section. So elders, humility, now watchfulness. Uh, pick it up with me in verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Be watchful. Uh, be alert. The devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. So live your life in an alert and watchful manner. Have you seen the YouTube videos of like the little kid standing by the tiger or the lion exhibit? And um, the little kid standing there for a picture, right? And you see the lion behind the glass, literally prowling, creeping up on this kid. And all of a sudden uh, it lunges. And you're so thankful that there's this huge barrier of glass between that cute little kid and this big scary lion who's literally trying to eat them. You can see this picture of the prowling lion. Oh, in Africa, we, in college, went to Africa a couple, couple times. We had no idea what we were doing. Uh, like 20 uh, college guys hopped on, met up with some nationals in Africa, went around to villages, put on sports camps, told them about Jesus. But one of the things we would always do is we'd go on like a self-directed safari with the nationals. And so like literally it's just like 20 American guys 
Jeep, you know, in each Jeep, there's a national with us kind of directing us where to go. But we kept getting our Jeeps stuck on this safari one year. It was kind of coming out of the rainy season. And so every time we, a Jeep would get stuck, we'd all pile out. Like in the, uh, we were in Botswana, in like the African bush. And all of a sudden after an, uh, a, a Jeep had been stuck, I looked at one of the nationals who was with us and I said, hey, is this like kind of dangerous right now for all of us just to be standing out and he's like yes very very dangerous very very dangerous at any point an animal we couldn't see could just come and devour us all and i'm like oh excellent right 20 guys just sitting you know standing out trying to get a jeep unstuck uh, knowing the potential danger that at any time in the bush all around us can be this prowling lion who's just going to jump out and devour us all i i um, I was a bit more alert in how we went about getting Jeeps unstuck after that. We are to live alert. The enemy is a prowling lion seeking to devour us. We're to be watchful. We're to live knowing that reality. And so uh, Peter tells us, verse 9, resist him. Firm in your faith. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Your best resistance comes with sure footing. You sure up your footing. You brace against something. This is how we resist. We stand firm. And so how do we stand firm? The book of Ephesians, the armor of God helps us in that regard. Let me just read this out of Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace and all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and of supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, take heart of some things Peter says that can encourage us as we resist and as we take a stand against the enemy. Uh, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are, are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Hey, we're all in this together. Take heart, we're all in this together. As believers together, we're standing firm against the schemes of the enemy. Uh, and take heart in this, we win. In the end, we win. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever and ever. Amen. In Christ we win. We take, we take firm hope in those realities. And then Peter here closes out this letter. By Sylvanus. A faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Believers, Redeemer, Harvest, whoever you are, stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, church in Rome, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Church family, I pray that this study 
as I said at the outset. I hope it has made us less attached to this life and the things in it. I hope your eyes are up and out, up on Jesus and out on eternity. And I hope you find in living with eyes on Jesus and out on eternity, it will actually make you the more faithful kingdom citizen in the life here and now that Jesus has called you to be. Um, I pray the study of this book has been a blessing. I pray it's equipped us to live as the sojourners in which God has made us to be here and now in this life. Harvest, you are loved and you are sent. And I'm so excited to be able to say that we will see each other next week. Have a great week.